You are listening to the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel and Travis Hornsby, episode number 23. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to the podcast. I Today, I have a special guest on the podcast that I'm really excited about. His name is Travis Hornsby. And Travis, um, hi, how are you doing? Doing well, Julie. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm really glad to have you here. Can you tell me and the listeners um, what you do and what we're going to talk about today? We're going to talk about student loan debt and specifically veterinary medicine student loan debt from vet school, which is a topic that causes tons of anxiety amongst a lot of people. And, you know, it's just a whole different animal now than it was back in the day, uh, kind of when we were talking before we started pressing the record button. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was way different cost at Michigan State back when you went than right. today, right? So yeah. unfortunately, the incomes have not tripled, <laughs> like the debt has tripled. And so that has given rise to all kinds of need for strategies to manage the debt so you can still have a good financial life and achieve what you want to without having to feel like you're eating rice and beans every night. Yeah. So do the statistics say that it's tripled since what, in the last 10 well, years you, or longer? Well, you you said it's it was about 40K, right? I think uh, so. Yeah. Day. If I remember correctly, when I got out of school, that was probably an average that people came out of school with maybe about 10 grand a year, you know? And now yeah, I think so it's at least 50 to 100 sometimes, right? Well, yeah. so today, the per year cost of Michigan State in-state for like, you know, people that are Michigan residents is about 52,000 a year. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's and that's times four. So you're right. at 208,000, you know, for student debt. And that, that does not include the interest that grows while you're in school. And it doesn't yeah. include the fact that Michigan State's probably going to raise tuition prices while you're in school. And it doesn't include the loan fees either. And so the undergrad, when, if some of them are getting debt undergrad as well, right? Exactly. So yeah. undergrad is, is you know, typically 30. Yeah. Yeah. So undergrad's typically 30. So 30 plus, really, you could call it 240 right now, uh, mm. 240 to 250 for Michigan State. And that's in-state. So yeah. your total amount for becoming a vet for just you know a normal middle-class person would be in the 280 range. And you had 40 back when you graduated. So that's that's more than triple. That's like yeah, uh, a lot what is more, that yeah. times uh, times seven? Yeah, that's crazy. And the I don't think the salaries. I think the salaries. If if we're at times seven for debt, <clears throat> I think if I remember correctly, and what they're paying now when students get out of school, I think we're probably maybe three times. So it's definitely um, the the debt has grown. Um, probably double to th triple what the salaries have gone up. <clears throat> yeah. And and back Pretty in the crazy. day, you, you couldn't borrow whatever you wanted. You could only borrow probably more of a limited amount, I'm imagining. Is that how I, they did it? I think so, because I think back then there were more, um, it was more of a government thing, I think. And now there's a lot of private loans. And I think the private loans, I mean, you know this better than I do, but I think the private loans are probably more expensive to not only take out, but also to pay back. Well, so actually, so the, the government's actually gotten more deeply involved in veterinary student loan debt since oh, then. That's not good, huh? It's, it, yeah, well, so it's both good and bad. So okay. the good part is that anybody can get any amount of 
debt that they need to go to school, which expands the, you know, the access to veterinary education, which is a good thing. Right. right? So like if I'm a very poor first generation college student, I can go become a veterinarian now, whereas back in the day, maybe that would have been a little tougher. You probably couldn't. Um, Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So that's the positive side. The negative side is schools have taken advantage of this in a big way. So I've had conversations with folks and most of the people will kind of acknowledge that vet schools funding is not the best. And what's kind of happened is to keep research budgets high and to keep lots of revenue flowing into the school and to make sure you know they can give big raises to faculty, they've just decided, well, we have a lot of different choices we can make. And the one that we hate the least is just increasing the price on our students because people still keep applying. So why not? Right. They're an easy so that's audience a, and they're easy to get money out of because they, there's right. so many people want to want to get into this profession because it's so awesome. Well, yeah, it's, it's a lot of people's dream. And the thing mm-hmm. is, is the government gives unlimited debt now for schools to go to financial education. So what's happened to the veterinarians out there is they've applied, but the schools know they can get as much debt as they ask for. So the schools just say, well, we're just going to jack the prices up way, way higher than what it would be if people actually had to borrow from private lenders because the private lenders would be concerned about actually getting paid back, whereas the government's not. Right. You know, they don't have that Mm -hmm. profit motive. So what's happened is you've had the cost of veterinary education vastly outpace inflation, basically just because of this unlimited borrowing with no caps at all. And the schools have decided to prioritize their own research mission and their own faculty at the expense of the financial stability of their students. And I think a lot of students don't have a real good grasp on paying all this stuff back. You know, they're so focused on getting through school and just wanting to, you know, uh, accomplish the dreams that they set up. And um, I don't think they really think of it as real money until they get out of school sometimes. Have you found that? Oh, yeah, that's that's probably the most common sentiment I hear about, you know, loans from veterinarians is that, you know, because you, you get into veterinary medicine, not because you want to make a killing, but because you have a right. passion, right? Yeah, we know you it's know, we you, know we're not going to get paid a lot. I mean, that's, that's right. a given, right? Yeah, like you would have taken your organic chemistry knowledge and just gone to like med school if you were concerned about sure. making money. Right, so, right. You know, so people know that. But so what I do think kind of feel like is veterinary medicine sometimes attracts folks that because they don't care about money, they're not motivated by it. They Mm. don't focus on it enough. Yeah. And so then you have a lot of these, you know, stressors that get placed on people. And then you start to see some of the mental health crisis that's happening, you know, in the profession now where, you know, you've always had the the stress of being a veterinarian at times. Yeah. That's probably, I mean, I'm sure parts of it have changed. I'm not a veterinarian. I wouldn't know. But the part that really has changed is you've taken any existing stress from the profession and added on all of this anxiety about debt. Right. So, and that's what I'm seeing. You know. I'm seeing out there, and that's one of the main reasons I started doing this podcast and um, my blog and things is because I see that um, younger veterinarians are so stressed out. And, and a lot of it revolves around money, um, but also, you know, our profession is stressful. Um, but I want to try to help them navigate through that because we really do continue to need good people in this profession. And this whole money piece is a big part of um, why they're feeling so overwhelmed when they get out, uh, especially right out of school. 
because then it's real. Yeah, and people think that they have to pay, you know, the standard ten-year plan amount in a lot of cases. And if you graduate with two two eighty k, like we just talked about, somebody would kind of graduate from uh, now with that amount of debt. That person would have to pay about almost three thousand dollars a month to pay their debt off in ten years, and that same new grad is going to make maybe eighty to ninety thousand in their first right. few years as a veterinarian. Yeah. So you're you're going to take home maybe sixty after taxes. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are, are looking at that required payment of the three thousand a month, and they're like half of my income, you know, going to debt where I'm making thirty k a year. Like I would have been better off, you know, going to work at like Seven Eleven or something. You know, um, <laughs> that's for you know, sure. They, you know, they look at that. That's the way they think. Now, the the thing that people often don't understand is how these income driven plans work. So they mm-hmm. sign up for the income driven plan kind of as a as a, a a defeat, like they feel defeated, and so they sign up for that plan. When kind of in reality, that can be the thing that makes all of the finances work. Now, for those of us that haven't um, paid back these student loans in a few years, and and I am one of those, can you explain this um, repayment plan? I, I've talked to a couple of my associates about it, so I, I'm kind of familiar with it, but can you explain it to us for those of us that don't understand it? Yeah, the sure. So you pay a repayment per- plan? Well, yeah, that's the 10-year one. I mean, that one's kind of straightforward. You know, you just put it into a loan calculator and figure out what your payment is, and it's the same every month for 10 years. But the but alternative this isn't is the government can, one, right? This isn't the repayment. Well, right. Well, the government has a ton of different options. The government has like, I think it's like nine different repayment plans or something crazy. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, you know, so so that's one of them. Another another one of the two most popular ones are paying based on your income and specifically the revised pay-as-you-earn and the pay-as-you-earn plans are the two ones that I recommend the most. Okay. So these two plans, you pay 10% of your income on your taxes and you get a little bit of a deduction. So, you know, for example, let's say that you have, um, let's say that you have a, you know, income of 80,000, you have a couple kids, so they give you a deduction, say of 30,000. And so they would take 10% of the leftover 50 K of 5,000 a year, about $400 a month. So they would calculate what your monthly payment is based on your income. And it's basically a tax because you're paying 10% of whatever is on your tax return to the government for your loans. Okay. So what's interesting is the payment that you make on your loans has no bearing on the amount that you owe. So what happens to the rest of it? You pay it for 10 years or what, or whatever the time frame is, and then the government absorbs the rest? So it's actually 20 to 25 years. And if you're doing the income driven, yeah, that's, that's if you're doing the income driven one. And if you do that, okay. then you actually owe income taxes on the forgiven balance. Okay. Yes. I've heard of that. Okay. Now I'm with you. So you have to pay income taxes when the loans are forgiven. And that can obviously be a couple hundred thousand dollars. But what's, what's nice is people can generally just put $500 a month in a brokerage account, like a Vanguard account and, you know, mutual funds. Mm -hmm. And if you do that for 20 years, you'll have enough to pay the tax bomb. So a really good setup for most veterinarians is to get on pay as you earn or revise pay as you earn where you're paying 10% of your income, put $500 a month into a brokerage account to cover the tax bomb, and then try to contribute as much as you can to your retirement accounts because you get a bunch of tax write-offs because you also have the student loans. So you're losing you know, 10% less on the money you put into the retirement account, and you're getting federal and state tax write-offs as well. 
So, okay. you know, so that's a that's a high savings rate. I will admit that's probably like a thirty to thirty five percent kind of level of your income going to loans and investing, but that's not crazy. Like thirty five percent savings rate is kind of equivalent to living on a teacher's salary for a teacher saving nothing. Right. Yeah. But, um, but you're talking about doing this for 20 years, right? But what well, you're, true, betting, but, but, what you're yeah. hoping on is that your income is going to go up, but you're still paying a percentage of that income. That's Am true. But you can, you, you can, yeah, but you can manage that income. So for right. example, if you, if you max retirement accounts, it's 19,000 a year that you're not paying 10% of. So you save $1,900 per year every year you max out your retirement account gotcha. on your student loan payment. So you can okay. do things. You can also become a practice owner. Practice ownership gives you lots of write-offs so you can reduce your, your income even though you're making a lot more money. And you can pay a lower percentage based off of what your taxable income was instead of what your actual income was. Right. Now, does this um, percentage have anything to do with a veterinarian spouse? Like say they're married, um, is, does the percentage come off of both of their incomes then, or just the veter just the veterinarian that's in this program with the student? It sure does. Yeah, it's both. So it's both. It's, uh, so, but here's the thing you can, if you know the rules, you can manipulate it to potentially exclude the spouse's income from the payment calculation. Oh, so it, okay. it, it, it gets real, co- it really gets real complicated, but like basically, you <laughs> am s- I making you know, it too complicated? I'm sorry. I'm asking. No, I mean, no, it, it's good. It. It's no, it's good. Okay. So like, so you can, if you know, there's two ways to file taxes, married filing jointly and married filing separately if you're married. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. So if you do married filing jointly, you're going to include your spouse's income and your payment no matter what. Gotcha. And this really only applies to people who have spouses with little to no student loan debt. If your spouse has a lot of student loan debt, then you need to file it jointly and figure out whether you're going to pay it all back or go for forgiveness together. Mm-hmm. That's important. Um, so that's something that can you know, be done. Like if you had somebody that graduated from veterinary school and then somebody that graduated from medical school and they both had, you know, $250,000, you could do this as a combination. Well, yeah, you can, you make a plan together and you don't file taxes separately. You know, you, the only time you file taxes separately is when you're the one with the debt and that's pretty much it. And the other person doesn't have any. Right. And, 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 you know, the, you're presuming that the other person has some sort of income too, that you would want to exclude. You know, there's, there's some situations where, you know, you could file separately if you have a stay at home spouse and you live in one of the West Coast states because of some weird kind of state specific rules, but that's real mm-hmm. niche. Like in, in okay. general, you know, like let's say you're a veterinarian married to a teacher, which is like a combination that I see kind of frequently. I don't know why, but, but I do. Um, so they're both, they're both very caring professions, right? Yeah, that makes sense. So Ser- probably, servant yeah. hearts. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so, sense to me. So you've got a 50K income from the teacher and you've got maybe a 90K income from the veterinarian. You could file jointly and include their income and you're paying an extra 400 a month or you could file taxes separately. Maybe pay like 100 a month in extra taxes, but you're saving that $400 a month on the payment amount. Okay. So that's an example of where filing separately might make some sense. If you're going for forgiveness, it it can kind of lower your your total payment if you're filing separately as a married couple if the spouse doesn't have a lot of debt. Okay. But these programs, they're going to tie you up for 20 to 25 years, you said? 
trying to pay these loans back. Depends on what you mean by tie you up. I mean, they're, they don't require you. <laughs> I, well, I know re- that probably yeah. isn't the best way to approach it, right? Well, I'm, if, just think, if, I'm just thinking yeah. from a standpoint of having debt looming over your head. I would think that you'd want to get it off your back as fast as possible. But I understand what you're saying. If you can spread it out over time and pay a lot lower amount and then have it forgiven, that you're going to be further ahead in the long run. Yeah, like I care about what is the veterinarian's, well, what do they want in life, one. But two, like from a math perspective, I look at it at multiple different directions to make sure we have the right plan for someone. So like, so for example, like, you know, kind of thinking about what is their net worth going to be at the end of these loan programs in 20 years. If that person did the 3000 a month payment, that means that that veterinarian is putting zero in retirement and zero in savings and zero in a brokerage account, right? Because all the money is going towards loans. So if they, if they instead do this like mixed approach where they're investing and putting retirement money away and they're covering their loans and they're putting money in the tax bomb account, they're doing all these things. Generally, what I find is somebody's net worth could be maybe double what it would be with a forgiveness plan if they, you know, just put it all in, you know, into the loans. And by the end of the 20 years. Right. By the end of the 20 years. And that's assuming that they still owe the tax penalty. There's a a good chance that you're going to have some legislative action at some point that'll wipe away that tax penalty because I just don't think the political stomach is there to collect it. Well, I, yeah, it's a big issue. So I, I'm assuming that something is going to happen at some point. Now, is if you had a veterinarian sitting in front of you and you were talking to them like you're talking to me, how would you make these decisions? Um, what would be the best way for them to approach their loans? I know you've c- talked about that a little bit, but what? how would you advise them to make these decisions as to what, what program is best for them? Well, let's take that case of the the veterinarian that just graduated from Michigan State with 280k in debt, right? Okay. So she just graduated and she's got 280 and she's got, you know, 25 different loans. So if she just graduated, what I'm going to tell her to do is to consolidate it with the government. And what that means is you just take all of your loans and you put it into a meat grinder and create one big loan. And the reason that you do that is just to one make it a lot easier to maintain and two, to go ahead and get it set up for forgiveness the right way, if that's what the goal is long-term. Right. So this new grad's making 80K a year. We'll say that she married a teacher. Um, and so we'll say that the teacher's making 50, 60K, and the veterinarian kind of doesn't really love the idea of being a practice owner. Like she'd rather just work for, you know, a big company like a Banfield or something, and or, mm-hmm. you know, a, even maybe just like a mom and pop place. Like maybe she'd consider taking it over at some point, but there's no right. rush. So mm-hmm. in that case, I would probably tell her, well, your income might grow to the point where it's maybe like 120. And, you know, that's that's a pretty, pretty solid income. Um, but it's probably not going to be much higher than that from an inflation adjusted perspective, you know, if especially if you're in a kind of a city where, where there's a lot of veterinarians. So what I would tell that person is if you could get it onto the pay-as-you-earn plan and file your taxes separately, then you could pay anywhere from $500 to $1,000 a month, and your loan balance is probably going to grow from two eighty dollars to maybe about 400000 over 20 years. And okay. then at the end of the 20 years, you'd pay maybe like $150K in taxes, let's say. So if you think about it, just kind of doing some real rough math, very rough math, over 20 years, you might pay... 150,000 on your loans and 
pay 150000 as a lump sum tax penalty at the very end of the payment. So your total money out of your pocket over 20 years was three hundred grand, As opposed to your four hundred or whatever you had figured out would be with your interest, correct? Right. Like so if you if you just paid it back with with a refinancing plan, then you'd pay principal plus interest. And over 10 years, that'd probably be, you know, three fifty to four hundred thousand. So and it's not just the advantage that you're paying less money, it's also the advantage because of inflation that we know that paying three hundred K over twenty years is a lot better than paying, you know, that over a smaller period of time. Plus you're also saving at the same time. Exactly. Plus you sock away a bunch of money for retirement and brokerage accounts and savings. And it's just, you're going to have a much, much higher net worth eventually than if you had just tried to pay it back with brute force. And what's cool, what's cool is like that, that brand new grad, I can now kind of tell her, Hey, if you want to work three days a week, cause you're just kind of getting a little burned out and you just need some time to just step back and, you know, kind of reset, you know, you Mm -hmm. can do that as long as your budget can handle it. Right. Because your loan payment is a percentage of your income, so it's always proportionate to what you're making. And, you know, also if you do want to have, you know, the chance at, you know, being able to retire in your 50s or something and to have that option, then it's actually an easy discussion. You just need to be willing to have a savings rate over 30%. Gotcha. Okay. Well, it sounds logical. Yeah, I mean, sounds, you can run the math. Like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing you. I'm writing stuff down. So, yeah, it does sound like, um, you know, there it, it seems like a logical way to go about it as far as um, stress, getting the stress off of you. You know, with the way these people are, are um, having to fight to keep their, their sanity as far as the stress levels go. Yeah, I think there's bigger things to be stressed about in life than, right, than, money. Your, stu- than your loans. I mean, it, money yeah. causes tons of stress. It, it causes the most stress when you don't have any. It, absolutely, yeah. And uh, a lot of veterinarians, they are just making a lot of normal mistakes with money that compounded with lower earnings and higher debt. It just makes them feel trapped. Right. So my big thing is trying to show vet veterinarians that they don't need to feel trapped, that it does get better. You can dig out of this. You know, it's just a, it's a question of like, do you, are you buying a house that's more than two times your joint income? If you are, you know, you're creating a huge burden for yourself and a required big monthly payment every month that you probably shouldn't if you have all the student debt. Right. You know, and I think that's, that's a big thing is, is people don't really, um, at least in our culture, they think debt is okay and it's a, it's easy. And until they get themselves in such a big debt hole, um, that they realize how much trouble they've gotten into. And, um, and then, and then it's too late, you know, when you have a, this huge debt that you haven't really planned for. Yeah. But you do know, you, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, do you have any advice for people before they, start into veterinary school or any college for that matter and what they can do to minimize their debt load? Like, do you ever advise people beforehand? We do. We, we do have a pre-debt consult. We don't really advertise it that much because um, sometimes the correct answer is that they shouldn't go to school. And uh, <laughs> they don't want to hear that. People refuse to listen to that. So the only people we've had luck convincing not to make a terrible decision 
um, when it is a terrible decision or people that are career changers, you know, that are going back after, you know, doing different things. And, uh, and I show them it adds 10 years to the, the work, their working career at least. And they're like, Oh shoot, (laughs) maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe it's not worth it. Yeah. You have to know that it's worth it. Yeah. I mean, I would just say like, you know, for, for the folks that are interested in becoming veterinarians, like it's still a good profession to be in, but you just have to be very realistic and just know that there are so many better options out there financially that, you know, if you are at all concerned about money, you should not do the profession, you know, and that's just- Hopefully that will change. I, I really, I'm optimistic that we're getting, our profession is getting better paid, um, but we still, we still have limitations and it's mostly because the, our industry is a luxury industry. You know, we don't think of it that way because uh, we don't want to, but it, it really is people's income that they don't, they don't have to spend on their pets. It's, it's a, their pets are a luxury item. And, and unfortunately that's what kind of holds us all back from making the kind of money we should make. It causes a lot of stress too. I had a client not too long ago that was like, the hardest part of my job, she was a vet in the kind of the rural South. She's like, I have to put down so many dogs that I could have saved with a a $500 broken leg that I could have fixed. That's absolutely valid. Yeah. It happens all the time. And she's just, and she's a very, she's a very nice person, very caring, very sensitive person. And just the toll that it takes to just put down these perfectly healthy dogs, just because their owners won't come and put the 500 bucks to fix the, you know, fix the broken leg. It just, takes this huge toll on her and it absolutely um, does yeah you know so i think with that you know with that kind of of reality like you know you do have to have your nerves steeled a little bit to to do this profession these days and just you know be at peace with it and just try to control what you can control and and i I, you know i i do think that what's going to happen at some point i'm seeing this in the pharmacy profession more aggressively right now because the pharmacy, the pharmacy school world, they tripled the number of schools that they had and the veterinary medicine world at least did not make as big of a mistake as that. They've only increased the number of schools, maybe a little, uh, comparison in comparison to some other fields. And so what that does is it prevents the supply from getting just out of control crazy. But what I am seeing right now is that the number of applicants per seat is actually drastically, um, changing. So back in the day, like the, the old kind of rule was like, if you can't get into, um, vet, vet school, then go to med school. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. It that's what real, we always, real, that's what we were always told. It's yeah, easier it's, to it's, get into medical school than to veterinary school. Yeah. So, so now I would argue that that trend is changing heavily, um, because of the financial aspects of things. And I, my, one of my first articles I ever wrote for my blog was a, an article about how veterinarians get treated horribly. Uh, under student loan rules, because physicians actually qualify, most physicians, actually about probably 70, 80% of them qualify for a tax-free loan forgiveness program where they pay their loans for 10 years, and then there's no tax bomb at all in the forgiven balance. And it's really incredible that they were able to push that through. I think that my theory is the AMA was really smart in how they lobbied for this, and the AVMA just kind of got left out in the cold. Um, yeah. And that ABMA didn't get involved. Like they probably, well, and it, and it may not have gone their way anyway. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, so the AMA is more powerful. They made sure the physicians were included with this loophole. And so right now, you know, the, the cost of, of, you know, medical school, if you manage the debt, right, can be below a hundred thousand 
you know, even though you might have on paper a debt that's way higher than that, you know, the actual cost of of going to med school with these loan forgiveness programs, like you know, after all that's taken into account, is actually really, really reasonable right now. And so you get that super reasonable cost combined with the super, you know, not super high incomes, but you know, incomes that are significantly more. Um, a lot higher you know, than ours, for sure. Yeah, and they've always been higher, but you know, I think that, you know, I think that just the the nature of it. I mean, there's also burnout problems and and things like that in medicine too. I don't want to make it sound like it's grass is always greener, right? But right. You, I just think that the profession is is definitely, um, especially for newer grads. I mean, it, it will, I think, correct at some point where you're going to have fewer people applying, you know, than than there are available seats is what I think it'll eventually happen. And then I think you'll actually see some wake-up call to the schools where they'll actually start to be interested in cutting tuition and being more competitive with their, you know, their offers and trying to, you know, do a better job focusing on not putting people in so much debt. But unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen until you get this ratio that's just going to correct for itself over time. And you see it going that way somewhat. Yeah, I do. I mean, like also the millennial generation is way bigger than the generation after, I think. Um, You know, like, and and there's fewer babies being born. Like I read some stat the other day that said like we've had the fewest number of children born last year in 30 years or something. So I I think you're going to see, you know, a a kind of a crunch in a lot of these schools. And this is more than just vet med, but like everything. I think there's going to be fewer people that are going to the programs that exist. And I also think that the kind of impression that people will get a veterinary medicine as word gets out that like you're having to borrow so much relative to your income, you know, eventually something has to give. And what's giving right now is just that, you know, applicant, you know, to seat ratio. And that's, it's still, there's still more people applying than there are spots, right? So as long as that happens, like they don't have to be competitive. They are, they can just, you know, tell you the price is the price. They but can as soon keep as raising you, the prices. Yeah, exactly. But as, sh- as soon as you get over that point where there's, you know, more seats than people, well, now I can take my application offer and shop it around and say, okay, I'm going to go to one of you three who's going to give me the best deal. And, um, right. you know, that's happening, especially amongst, you know, some places where there's softer demand for seats and different educational programs right now, like law schools, you're seeing people really ag- negotiate aggressive deals with law schools because there's a lot more seats than people willing to take them. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think that's happening in, in the vet schools as well. I think that, um, unfortunately I see a lot of veterinarians going to out of state schools too. So, you know, we were talking about the in-state example, the out of state example is probably going to be double that. Correct. Yeah. So like for student loan debts, well, there's maybe not quite double, but probably about 50% more for out of state. Yeah. So that's crazy. And then there's private schools. Yeah. There's private schools like, you know, Penn and Western university, Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, are put you more like, and then, you know, there's the Caribbean schools too, which, oh my goodness, you know, the Caribbean schools, I usually have people with 500 K in debt. Yes. Yeah. I know a couple of those. I know a couple of people that went to those schools. And that's and yeah, dr- it's crazy expensive. Even the living expenses in that those schools. What's what's really nuts is because you're paying a percentage of your income. If you go to Michigan State or you go to one of the Caribbean schools, the payment that you'll make is actually pretty much the same. The only difference mm-hmm. is the forgiven tax bomb that you'll have to pay. So you know, if you have twice as much debt, 
you might have twice as high of a tax bomb, but then there's a chance that you might not even know that. So it's kind of interesting where, you know, the the cost almost with the current loan structure that of the current loan rules, it almost doesn't even matter. Well, and the tax bomb you know is coming. So you can plan for that. You have years you, you have years to save that money, right? You can you, and- you don't know exactly how much it's gonna be if things change, but you can at least plan. Exactly. Yeah. So you know yeah. it's gonna be something at least like I always plan for the worst case scenario is what I tell people to do. Right. And, you know, it's probably going to be better than that. And so if people have a high savings rate, you know, if you put more money than you think you need into your brokerage account, you're just, it's going to work out really good for you. You just so, have more money, right? Exactly. Yeah, then you, and, and, you know, if Senator Warren comes out with some plan that forgives everything, then you just have 200,000 bucks that you thought you were going to have to use for something that now you can use as something else. And then you're really golden. Yeah, then you're, then you're throwing a big party, right? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I I would if somebody gave me 200,000. Gosh. Yeah, that's amazing. So, Travis, tell me what your what's your what is your advice for the young veterinarians out there? Let's say the ones that just got just are getting out of school or right before they're graduating and they know they have big student loans to pay back at some point and those that are currently in the market, but still feel out of control with their loans, how would they get help from you um, or people like you? Like, what should they do? Uh, they can reach out to us. Help at studentloanplanner.com is the email address that they can send stuff to. Um, that okay. You can also check out studentloanplanner.com slash help and uh, read about it if you just prefer reading about it rather than like sending somebody a message. But either mm-hmm. way, like if you just reach out to us, um, you know, we have four people on the team that do consults, um, myself, Rob, Lauren, and Justin, and one of us will reach out after you share kind of what's going on in your life. We obviously need to know, you know, what, right. what's going on, what your debt is, like what your questions are. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we'll tell you whether or not we think it makes sense to work with us in our uh, service. It's, it's not like a financial planning thing where it's like thousands of dollars a year. It's actually just a one-time fee of like 300 to $600, uh, depending on how okay. much debt how much debt you have. So, you know, we try to make it accessible to anybody who's serious about not having to worry about their debt anymore. Um, so and we then kind once, of, you know, once you work with them, um, to get something going for them as far as, you know, whatever plan they decide to go with, is it something that they can stay in touch with you to continue to get advice or is it kind of a one and done type of deal? No, it sure is. So we give people about, you know, we are pretty, loose with it, but about six months or so, half a year of, of, you know, email support questions that they can ask us if they need to. Okay. And, uh, we give them an action plan at the end of the consult, like step one, step two, do this, do this, you know, open this account, you know, put at least this much in there, you know, or, you know, pay off your credit card debt or look at trading in your car for a cheaper car. (laughs) Sometimes that happens. Um, but you know, we have a a lot of You'll give them that kind of advice too. Like if you, yeah. If you think that their personal finances are way out of control, you know, they graduated from vet school and they bought a Ferrari, you're going to tell them that. Like yeah, that I mean, wasn't a good it'd idea. Like, it'd be like if you had a dog come in that had like a tooth problem, but that like their leg was amputated, like, and they were bleeding out. Right. Like, you know, yeah. like, it's like, you know, I'm not going to not tell you, hey, by the way, you should probably put a tourniquet on the leg. Well, by the way, you see that blood all over the place. That's a problem. Yeah, exactly. Like we do have people like that sometimes. And I'm like, well, yeah. 
I'm going to focus on the loans. What I do is I focus on the loan plan first. And then I'm like, and by the way, you really need to do this, this, and this. So you need to talk to a tax person and a, this kind of a planner person, like, or an insurance person, because yeah. this is a wreck. Okay. Um, yeah. But, you okay. know, we can, we can help anybody from like somebody who's totally clueless to somebody who's really pretty sophisticated and just wants to make sure they're doing the right things with their loans and everybody in between. But um, yeah, so like the the follow-up we, we find is we do generally a good enough job that people might have one or two questions and we just answer those via email. Um, and that's that's good because it just makes makes us able to offer the service for a, you know, a few hundred bucks instead of, you know, like a Reasonable. thousands or like a high, you know, $200 a month kind of thing or, right. you know, right. that, and we make, make it up on doing volume. So we've done, you know, 2000, over 2000 plans. Um, right. And so, you know, we just do so many of them uh, that we're able to offer what I think is good value. Yeah, it sounds really reasonable for, you know, what you're doing and what you're helping people do, because I really do think it's a it's a significant problem. And I'm hoping that if people are listening and they're struggling, that they will reach out. So uh, is there anything else that you think we need to get out there into the world that will help people? Um, any other information that you want to put out there before we wrap it up? Sure. There's a Facebook group called Not Another Vet, I think. And I know oh, about yes. it. I know about it because I get a lot of uh <laughs> we get referrals from it from people who are struggling who like friends will say, Hey, talk to Travis or something. But I think that's a right. great Facebook group to be involved with, uh, especially if you're struggling at all. Even if it's just a very mild struggle, you feel like, you know, you have some anxiety or you have some little bit of of you get some de depressive feelings, like get involved with that community to make sure that you feel like you're not alone and, and make sure you talk to somebody like go to a mental health right, counselor, absolutely. call the national suicide hotline. Um, even if you're not even suicidal, like give them a call. If, if you even have remotely thought about anything like that, um, because it's just super important to get that help, uh, way ahead of time before it becomes a crisis. And yeah, um, I that's just know, so important. I just know there's at least one veterinarian listening that needed to hear that. So I just wanted to kind of yeah. th throw that on there uh, in addition yeah, to like all the money stuff. Yeah. Well, and that, and that's the reason that we have this podcast is we're trying to support each other because it is, it's a hard, it's a hard life for everyone. It's not just veterinarians, you know, life is just hard, but we definitely as veterinarians and people that work in this profession really do um, want to support each other. So absolutely reaching out is super important. Thanks for having me on, Julie. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being with me and um, we'll send people your way. I think that's, it's an amazing thing that you're doing. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Mm -hmm.